Hello and welcome to Insights, the Cubs UCC podcast with me, Anthony MacDonald, Professor of Human Resource Management. Each episode, I find out some of the new and groundbreaking research and ideas from Cubs lecturers that are making an impact on society in Ireland and abroad. From business to Brexit, management to marketing, we're bringing you fresh perspectives and different ways of thinking here on the Insights podcast. And on this episode, I'm joined by Thea Hennessy, Dean of the Cork University Business School and Professor of Agri-Food Economics. We'll find out more about the plans for the new 4,000-strong business school in Cork City Centre shortly. But Thea, let's start with something that's looming large in October, and that's Brexit. With your own expertise in agri-food economics, how bad would a no-deal Brexit be for Irish agriculture? A no-deal Brexit will obviously be very serious for the agri-food sector and more serious for certain sectors than others within that. Um, Looking at the beef sector, for example, about a third of all of our agri-food exports go to the UK. But when you look at beef, it's over 50% going to the British market. If there's a no-deal Brexit, um, non-EU beef, such as South American beef, will become very competitive in the British market and it will undersell or underprice um, Irish beef. So what's the contingency? I suppose what the government has been doing over the last number of years is investing in the board BIA campaigns beyond Europe. We've really expanded the amount of product going to Asia, for example, but it's mostly dairy products. The Chinese market has opened up for beef. The US market has opened up for beef, but small amounts relative to the amount we export. So the first contingency is to find another market, but it's very difficult to replace your nearest and most valuable market. The next contingency after that, I guess, then is some very practical things like what would happen if there was a hard border. Um, The most recent commentary, I suppose, coming from London is that they're opposing the backstop. If there was a hard border, there would be a serious amount of investment required in terms of border checks for agri-food, specifically veterinary checks, um, product testing, traceability issues, all of that. So you would need a vast array of technical people hired to carry out those roles. Okay, And is, you know, you talk about sectors within agriculture, beef is presumably one of the most critically impacted by... It is. I suppose the mushroom industry actually was the first victim of Brexit because it's very exposed to the um, sterling euro exchange rate. So very early on after the referendum, many mushroom businesses, uh, which are mostly based around the border, went out of business simply because the value of the sterling made uh, Irish mushrooms relatively expensive and they lost the contracts they had with Tesco and the other big suppliers. So they've already been a victim of Brexit. Within the sector, then beef is very reliant on the UK Dairy less so, but within dairy there are specific products. So most of the cheese we produce in Ireland is cheddar cheese. That's something we like to eat, the British like to eat, but the French wouldn't look at it. So finding another market for something like cheddar cheese is also challenging. But I suppose dairy has the flexibility that they can put that product into milk powder, which would be used for infant formula that's very easily transported long distances like to China and that Mm. kind of thing. So it's not just about market access, so obviously the, the, the continued low sterling rate and and again there seems to be predictions that that could actually get worse again in an event of an audio break. Yeah, so it's at sterling's at its lowest level against the euro um for two years now I believe and at at the moment there are a number of protests going on outside beef factories in Ireland because of the low price of beef. Um that's being dictated by supply and demand but also being impacted on by this the sterling um weakness at the moment because it's making Irish beef in the British market quite expensive. So it's impacting on the demand for Irish beef. So all of these issues are interlinked really, but the exchange rate issue is uh, a one that's impacting already in advance of Brexit occurring. Yeah, so you, you mentioned these um the protests that have been going on and and, um, and this EU beef deal with South America, is are they is that just an extra 
problem on top of Brexit? Or are they what links do they have? It's really an ad- it's an additional problem. Really, the negotiations on that Mercosur trade agreement have been going on for almost twenty years, so it's absolutely unrelated to Brexit. It's um, a far-reaching and wide-ranging trade deal and it has benefited many sectors. Even within agriculture, it has actually benefited the dairy sector in Europe because we can increase the amount of product, dairy product we're sending to South America. I suppose all of those benefits have been um, lost or underplayed relative to the negative impact on the beef side. And I guess it's really just an element of another um, nail in the coffin maybe of the beef sector that this announcement came at this particular time when they're already facing Brexit, when the industry is already under threat with the rise of vegetarianism and veganism and all of the issues around climate change as well. It's really a tough time to be in the beef sector at the moment. So there is obviously, so there is a positive story for some sectors within agri, but clearly the beef sector is where things are exceptionally challenging and, and are very concerned on the South American deal, obviously, just which exacerbates the, the Brexit issue. Yes, and I suppose the South American deal, it's it's only about 100,000 tonnes of beef, which is less than 1% of the total amount of beef that's consumed in, in Europe. So that sounds quite small. But what the, the lobbyists and the representatives would tell you is that it's what type of beef is allowed in. So if it's 100,000 uh, tonnes of top-cut, high-premium steak products, for example, that would really undercut the price of the steak product in Europe, which is the most valuable part of the beef sector, obviously. So there's a lot of finer details still to be agreed in terms of what type of product can come in. You know, burger versus a steak obviously would have a very different impact on the overall price of a carcass being slaughtered. But I guess beef is one of those sectors in agriculture where, which is always where margins are more problematic. So obviously we've seen a big change in agriculture in the context of the removal of um, milk quotas and so forth. So how is that... Is this going to see a potential realignment of um, where what type of farming is done in this country further? Yeah, over the last number of years, we've really seen the gap between the beef and the dairy sector widening. Um, the milk quota system was removed in 2015 and production in Ireland has increased by over 50%. Profitability levels at the farm sector, at the processing sector are very doing very well in dairy. You contrast that to the beef sector where the average beef farmer, over 100% of their income comes in the form of a subsidy. So it actually costs them more to produce the beef product than what they receive for it when they sell it. So like there's serious dysfunction there at the farm level. But I suppose the issue is really that based here in Cork, we look around us, we see lots of dairy farmers and a thriving dairy industry. But where many of these beef farmers are based, there isn't a lot of alternative economic opportunities. So if you go into places like Roscommon or Leitrim, almost 100% of the farming that's going on there is small-scale, low-profitability beef farming. So it's a really serious regional issue as well as an economic issue, I think. And that's that's the justification for continuing those subsidies, really, is to keep uh, economic activity in those areas. There's nearly 20,000 people employed in Ireland in beef processing plants. So it's not just at the farm level, it's the whole supply chain and what's supported and the multiplier effect of that. So is there a real danger that um, the livelihoods of farmers, particularly those of the folks on beef, are going to take a further hit here? Is it is is this way of life going to become more problematic? Um, are we going to see a further increase of land holdings and move towards bigger farmers? Or how do you potentially see things evolving? So I suppose what we saw throughout the Celtic 
tiger era when uh, beef profitability was very low was the rise of part-time farming with lots of farmers getting employment in the construction sector, that kind of thing. And I suppose that's one means of maintaining the family farm in a marginal area that people are employed elsewhere. Um, I think that's probably more likely to happen rather than a consolidation of land holdings because we have this very strong sentiment uh, about owning land in Ireland. People are very reluctant to sell it even when they don't make any money from it. Um, like the current price of agricultural land, you're talking about two or three generations before you would repay the investment of buying that land. So, you know, we haven't seen huge movement in the amount of land sales over the last number of years, and I would predict we won't see it either in the future. Yeah. And is that leading then to what further issues is that leading? Because I'm presuming um, labour availability, um, ageing Workforce must mm. be a big issue in an agriculture and farming sector, is it? It is, yeah, and especially in the beef sector. Um, I don't know the average age exactly now at the moment, but I'd say it's probably approaching 60 for a beef farmer, a bit younger for a dairy farmer. So look, that presents a whole load of issues in terms of social issues, issues around well-being of farmers, mental health issues. Um, and, you know, I suppose it just talks about the whole social fabric of a rural area when there's you know, not many young people employed in the main economic activity of the area. Mm. So I suppose it goes back to, again, the, we think about economics, but obviously there's a far wide-reaching social agenda here and ultimately this issue of urbanisation um, where obviously a lot of employment has come through farms. And are we seeing much innovation then in, this agri, in the agri-sector in the context of, you know, I think we see, there at least there appears um, from a basic level a big rise in, you know, artisan food products mm. and small producers. Is that something that, um, is there more scope, I guess, for this sector around that? Yeah, there is innovation occurring across a whole range of um, factors. Really, a lot of it has been driven by environmental pressures to produce food in a greener, more sustainable way. But then there's also the rise of locally produced food, which offers a great opportunity to some producers. But it is a niche. I mean, at the end of the day, we are a huge exporter of food products. And those artisan niche type products are often local products. So your West Cork cheeses, for example, which may be more difficult to secure an international market for. So it's certainly an opportunity for a number of producers, but I don't see it solving the problems facing uh, the beef sector as as we see it at the moment. And you, you said that there's been a lot of work going in over the last few years about looking at new markets. Um, in the context of a an agri-economist, is there more that government can or should be doing um, in preparing, you know, the economy, preparing the, the agri-sector for an ordeal Brexit? Or is there is it as much, is as much being done now as can be? I suppose in terms of the practicalities around what will happen with a hard border and all of that, it's, it's hard to know because we're, we don't seem to be getting an awful lot of information. Um, and maybe the politicians are as in the dark as the rest of us are. But look, I certainly think there's been huge efforts invested in international marketing of food products. And over the last eight years or so, the value of food exports have increased by over 60 percent. So that has paid dividend. And the percentage of products going to the UK uh, of our exports as a whole has declined over the last few years. But the value of them has still increased because the value of products uh, being exported overall has increased. So I think there's been huge investment. Ireland is almost unique internationally in having such a strong um, uh, exporting body for food like Board B and having such a strong marketing campaign like the Origin Green campaign, which is very much around sustainable food products 
and reflects the whole supply chain from farmers right through to processors. So there's a lot of innovative and novel things going on here in terms of promoting food exports. So I, I, I think that, you know, that investment has been paying off. Okay. We might maybe move into your, I suppose, your more day-to-day um, role um, in the context of, of being Dean of, of um, Cubs and Carter University Business School. Um, there's obviously been some exciting um, announcements over the last few months in the context of a new business school. Maybe you might tell me a little bit more about the plans for the new business school and why was it needed? Absolutely, yeah. So we're at a really exciting time. The university acquired a site in the centre of the city at Union Quay in South Terrace. Um, and the contracts on that were signed in March of this year. Um, 17.25 million uh, was invested on the site, which happened to be owned by Dairy Gold, which is a nice segue from our last uh, discussion. So the building already has planning permission for a um, 20,000 or 200,000 square foot um, building, which is about the size of the Western Gateway building on, on the Western Road here in Cork City. Um, so we're very excited about the prospect of developing that for a new business school. We have over three and a half thousand students at the moment. We're expecting we'll have close to four thousand students by the time we move into the city centre, about 200 staff. So it'll be a huge project moving that number of people in there, but a really exciting opportunity for us and the business school and for the business community in Cork as well. And in terms of needed, is that as much to do with just the the growth, sheer growth and in student numbers or why why a new building? We're very constrained on the campus here, as many of the other faculties and the departments are. The student numbers have grown so considerably in the university over the last number of years. But even in the business school alone, uh, we're growing in year on year. We've increased our postgraduate numbers by over 25%. We've gone from a little over 3,000 students to over 3,500 students over the last number of years. So we're seeing more people coming, bigger class sizes. We need bigger lecture halls. We need more facilities. We want to do lots of more n- exciting and novel things. Um, for example, like having a, an, an entrepreneurship innovation hub, possibly having a trading floor for our finance students. So having a new building will give us the capacity to develop all of that new infrastructure and new opportunities. And would you see, again, putting your economist hat on in terms of the, is there, a, is there potentially a really big benefit to Cork City um, with this move in? And I guess there, at least there seems to be an awful lot more cranes in the skyline of Cork City. Is this part of a... Do we seem to be seeing a a development of Cork? So we're seeing a major regeneration of Cork City at the moment, which is great. Um, A lot of office space being built, um, new hotels opening, probably not as much residential development as we would like to see. Um, I'm involved in the Cork Chamber and what we hear from employers all the time is that the biggest problem facing them is finding um, accommodation for new workers they want to attract. But in terms of bringing business into the city, There's been quite a lot of controversy over the last number of years about the footfall on Partrick Street and retail in the city centre. So I think bringing 4,000 young people into the city centre every single day will be just a huge boost to the local economy in terms of footfall on places like Partrick Street. And um, I suppose within that 4,000 as well, we have a growing cohort of international students. And I think this brings a a great ethnic diversity to the city centre as well uh, that will really contribute to the vibrancy. And in the context of, I presume a lot of student growth, as you mentioned, has been a rise of international students, which I think is really good in terms of bringing diversity um, to Cork and and I think employers want that. In the context then of Brexit, does Brexit bring opportunities or threats to business education and a business school? 
Brexit is bringing both opportunities and threats. I suppose to concentrate on the opportunities first, what we've seen in the international student market is that Ireland is considered a very attractive place to come and study now that maybe there aren't the migration issues, the racist type issues that you would see coming to the fore in the UK and the US. And that's making Ireland Ireland an attractive place to, to come to work and to live and to study. We would have thought that we'd have had a bigger impact from Brexit in terms of getting students here that would have otherwise gone to the UK. But the weak sterling has actually made the UK still quite um, financially an attractive place to come and study if, if students can secure the right visas and that kind of thing. In terms of the threats, I suppose, of course, the, the threat is the impact that Brexit might have on the employment opportunities of our students as they graduate. You know, the forecast for the economy, if there is a no deal Brexit, is quite a bleak one. Um, the forecast on job losses and all of that. So I suppose that would be my main worry in that regard. But I think that within the business school, we're all about independent thinking. We're all about um, developing an entrepreneurial mindset. So it's about giving students the skills to cope with that type of adversity and maybe create their own opportunities or see gaps in the market and that kind of thing. So it's it's really focusing on all of those kind of mm. skills as well. And we see, we've see seen an awful lot of popular media opinion about snowflake generations and, and this and that. Do we see much, are, are students that are coming in or throughout our programs at the moment, are they, is there a great concern? Is there much interest in, you know, we've spent a bit of time talking about Brexit um, or, or what what are they particularly interested in? Yeah, I mean, students are very up to date in terms of what's happening politically, economically around the world. Um, across the campus, we'll see that there is often protests and issues relating to um, maybe racism, hate speech, uh, equality, gender related issues. So I think the same things that have always um, occupied students' minds over the years. I suppose one of the things that would surprise me is for my own generation, when we were in college, when we graduated, our, our ambition was always to go and work for a big company. <laughs> um, whereas I see a, a lot of the current generation are very interested in being involved in startups and, and working with small companies and working with um, kind of in the innovative space and getting in um, at, at the early days of a new idea or a new company, which I suppose is a risk maybe our generation wouldn't have taken. And maybe that's reflected in the, in the times they've grown up. But that's one of the differences I would see personally. And do we see much in terms of, I think obviously the university and the business school is quite strong agendas around sustainability. Are we seeing that? Is that potentially also linked there where students are um, potentially going to drive a real change in how we Yeah, I think so. I mean, looking internationally, we see most of the climate change activists are young people. I mean, if you think of the likes of Greta Thunberg and... Um, her colleagues. Um, so we really see the issues being driven by young people. We look across the campus, we've seen big changes even the last couple of years in terms of the use of disposable plastic and all of that. So I would think that the generation of our students at the moment are far more environmentally conscious than we were. And is that something that you think Cubs um, is actively interested in or you know, how does Cubs, I guess, maybe reflect the way society is changing and, and, and how does that input into our programmes? So sustainability, I think, is a very common uh, theme across a lot of the research we do in COBS, whether it's um, in economics, looking at the economic development of rural areas, whether it's in the food sector, looking at the environmental impact of food production, whether it's in business information systems, looking at the use of technology in the developing world for health, better health outcomes. I think sustainability is a theme that 
uh, really encompasses a lot of what we do in terms of research and it's coming into the education programs then as well. So our um, programs within the um, food area, the food business area would have a very strong sustainability theme. And we see increasingly now, like our MBA program, for example, we have modules there on, on developing sustainable business and on challenges facing businesses due to the sustainability agenda. So maybe finally, just in terms of if you're looking into the next three or four years, what, what do you hope Cubs um, may have achieved in, in that period? So over the next couple of years, I hope that we'll have our building designed, um, if not finished and moved into it, uh, all our students and our staff. That would be a really exciting development. We're on track to secure our accreditation from the ACSB, the international accrediting body for a business education. So hopefully we will have that secured in the next couple of years. We're beginning the process now of accreditation for our MBA program. So that's another big project. And I suppose just going from strength to strength in terms of our student numbers and our reputation and growing our research uh, impact and engagement with businesses. So we have a big agenda and lots of exciting things to look forward to. That's all we have time for on this episode of Insights, the Cubs UCC podcast. And my thanks to Thea Hennessy for joining me on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And join me next time for new ideas, research and perspectives on Ireland and the world from us here at Cubs UCC. I'm Anthony MacDonald and thanks for listening.